Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 47th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. And look, I know I'm supposed to come up with something like, you know, telling you that Bobby Witt Jr. played his 47th professional game this week between the, you know, the Rookie League last year and the Cactus League this spring. But really, like, all I'm thinking about is that 47 is 21 less than 68, which is the number of teams in the NCAA freaking basketball tournament that starts this week today as you're listening to this assuming you're listening to it on friday and i guys i'm so happy about all this uh, okay anyway let's get to the spiel the goal this week as always is to be worth your time we're gonna do that starting here at the top with, with march madness of course and then a great run of questions about who the heck i think i am uh gambling's growing place in sports how FOMO is running college sports, and whether KU has screwed up its NCAA infractions defense. The bonus segment is, and look, like I love all my children the same, right? But this week's bonus segment is one of my favorite. It's clips from a conversation with Sporting Kansas City CEO Jake Reed, who is telling you and me exactly how he feels about Sinclair effectively locking out a significant portion of Kansas Cityans from being able to watch Royals and sporting games on TV. This has been a big topic this week. I'm going to write a column about this next week. Uh, and, and I'm telling you guys, like this story has effects that we are going to feel for a long time. Um, you know, sporting and the Royals are just a small part of it too, but this is instructive. And, you know, anyway, stick around. It's uh, This is a good conversation. Um, okay, uh, the Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. Uh, dollar a month for three months for all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs and Royals content that you can find anywhere else. You can find that on our website or just reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I will send you the link. I appreciate all of you uh, who have listened, offered great feedback, and written and asking for that subscription link. Your support means everything to me and, more importantly, to the people I work with. So thank you very much. Okay, March dang madness, you guys. Uh, I know this says more about me than anything else, but um, so I just want to say that off the top. But a year ago, like the thing that told me that the world would never be the same was not like COVID-19 case numbers or research about infection rates or anything else. The, the thing that stopped me in my tracks that told me the world would never be the same was that the NCAA tournament was canceled. Uh, again, that's a problem with me and my warped view of the world, right? But that's my reality. And uh, if you're listening to this, I'm guessing it might be reality for some of you too. And um, look, if that's the case, then how can we look at this as anything but like incredibly welcome progress that 68 teams, uh, many with coaches or other support staff who are by now fully vaccinated are playing America's greatest sports event with at least some fans in attendance and millions watching on TV. Um, you know, the, the schedule's a little goofy this year. It's not the Thursday, Saturday, and Friday, Sunday pause that we know. Uh, it's still a little weird to watch basketball in mostly empty gyms. You know, and some teams are navigating positive test results and all that, including Kansas and Oklahoma. Uh, but man, we have beautiful brackets and games on TV. So let's go. Um, so, all right, let's talk about those games. And since I brought up COVID, uh, let's start with Kansas. Um, you know, the more I'm thinking about this, like the worse I feel for KU's chances. 
You know, like I, I assume that KU will have enough against Eastern Washington, um, you know, even as the Eagles. And and no, I did not know that they were the Eagles uh, until I looked it up. But the Eagles, um, this team, they've got some nice pieces. They, they returned four starters from a team that won the Big Sky in 2020. And the one guy who didn't start last year just won the League Player of the Year award. And they bring off the, the, the guy who was the preseason League uh, Player of the Year. Uh, they bring that guy off the bench, you know, so this team, they got some guys like they shoot a lot of threes. They've got, you know, four different guys who hit more than one three a game. Um, they're experienced. I mean, th- these are all traits of like a dangerous March underdog. Um, but again, I'm, I'm expecting a K- KU to get by that game. And then assuming that happens, KU got a potentially really tough second round draw with USC. Um, you know, the Trojans, and I did not have to look that one up, but the, the Trojans, Trojans are really intriguing. Evan Mobley is a seven foot freshman and, you know, the, the, he's the kind of guy like he probably would not be in college if not for the one and done rule. Um, he will probably be a top two or three pick in the NBA draft. And you don't need to watch him for very long to see why. I mean, this guy, he is super long. Um, he gets down the floor quickly. I mean, he runs like a, a guard or a small forward. He, he can put it on the floor. He can drive from the wing. He's got good vision, soft touch. I mean, he, he's different. Um, this guy will pop out. If you haven't seen USC play this season, if you don't know anything about Evan Mobley, this guy will pop off the screen to you. Um, you know, one interesting thing about USC, they really haven't played a lot of great teams. You know, if you look at those quadrants, um, they're three and four against quadrant one, which means, you know, they're, they're 19 and three against everybody else. So, you know, this is a team they lost to Colorado three times. So, you know, what I'm saying here is like in normal times, like this feels like a, ga- a game that KU would win. Um, you know, they've been playing so much better lately, you know, and, and Bill Self has been pointing this out. They, they've been playing so much better lately while shooting pretty badly. And that's a great sign because you figure the shots will, will even out. Um, and, and in the meantime, they're figuring out a way to do it even when when the shots aren't going in. So, you know, but these aren't normal times. And, you know, KU is going to be playing without Jalen Wilson because of a positive COVID test. And we just we have no idea how strong David McCormick and Tristan Inaruna are. You know, um, they've been isolated because of these protocols. And that's a lot of mispractices, uh, misstrength, you know, or lost strength, I should say, lost endurance. And, you know, USC just is not the kind of opponent where you can afford, afford a lot of slide like that. So, you know, I'm I'm thinking that's around a 32 loss, you know, if the opponent is USC. Um, okay, the other game um, of local interest, obviously the 8-9 the game in the West with Oklahoma and Missouri. Um, you know, I, I'm with what seems like the consensus in thinking that Oklahoma and Missouri are both underseated. Missouri as a 9 is particularly rough, especially if you play the game and compare their resume with a team like Florida. Um, you know, I love metrics. And I believe in their insight, you know, but sometimes I think we go too far, honestly. Like the, the results of games should matter more, <laughs> you know what I mean, in something like this. So, you know, Oklahoma is a two-point favorite, which which feels about right. You know, this game could go either way. Uh, Mizzou has these pieces that fit together, you know, an ability to get points in different ways and, you know, from different parts of the floor. Um, you know, but they're also a team that's lost six out of nine. And, you know, they, they have these extended spells where they just it's just so hard for them to get a bucket. You know, um, Oklahoma is, is good, you know, especially on offense. And, you know, for Missouri to like do this out of halftime slump thing, they just uh, that can't happen against a team like Oklahoma. Um, you know, Oklahoma's record is not great 
15 and 10. They've lost five of six, you know, but Lon Kruger is, you know, I think the better coach. Um, Austin Reeves is a center who will be, he will be the uh, senior. I said center. He is a senior and he's going to be the best player on the floor. I mean, look, this is, this is close. And, um, you know, nobody should be surprised by the outcome here either way. Uh, you know, Oklahoma with Davion Hamilton being out for a COVID test like that, that feels like the kind of thing that can kind of tilt the balance of this. You know what I mean? Like before that came out, um, I mean, that guy's he's their second leading scorer. He's a really good player. And uh, it felt like Oklahoma was the better team before that. But, um, you know, the same way that I'm thinking that KU and and their COVID problems can cost them in the second round, I think that maybe this benefits Missouri a little bit. So, um, you know, but look, like part of the crappy part of of, of uh, Missouri being at least what I think is underseeded is that you get in this 8-9 game, which is a toss-up. And then you win and congratulations. Like now you get to play Gonzaga, who is like undefeated and legit might be the best college basketball team in like five or 10 years. Um, I mean, that's just that sucks, <laughs> you know, for Missouri. But I guess you got nothing to lose in that game. So uh, I don't know. As for the rest of the bracket, I mean, I, I am super interested in Gonzaga. Like I, I think it's really cool to see that program, you know, built from, you know, sort of being the, the ultimate Cinderella right and now they are firmly they are blue blood um and i I would love to see a gonzaga iowa regional final um you know that game i'm telling you that game would be like 101 to 99 um in in regulation in the east i think that livers injury opens michigan to a potential upset in the second round uh especially if that's against lsu you know there's a path here for texas to advance if they play smart and and don't do dumb things with the basketball like they do sometimes um alabama is going to score a ton of points um on the other side of the bracket in the south like it is really hard to know what to expect from baylor right like there's so much to like about that team they shoot it better than anybody in the country and they do it with so many different guys and they're really good defensively too you know especially on the perimeter they are versatile they're smart they're athletic uh mark vital is a shutdown type of guy inside i mean they just have a lot going for him and all of that is true and yet they haven't really been themselves the last two weeks or so. So, you know, my sense is that they'll be able to get this right the first weekend and then kind of roll from there. Um, I mean, a Gonzaga-Baylor championship game would just would be a treasure. Um, but there's just, there's a lot of moving parts, you know. In the Midwest, I love the idea of Loyola Chicago seeing Illinois in the second round. I love that game. I, and I think Loyola might be able to, to pull off what would be one of the bigger upsets uh, in the tournament. Uh, West Virginia could be a problem for somebody. Houston has a lot going for them. But I really like Oklahoma State's chances um, to be something of a Final Four or a, a Cinderella Final Four team, I should say. Um, fourth seed, it wouldn't be the hugest upset. But, uh, you know, the Oklahoma State, they've got a lot of strong pieces and they seem to play for one another if you watch them. And they might have the best player in the tournament with Kate Cunningham. Uh, I mean, he'll, he'll probably be the number one pick in the draft. Mike Boynton has proven to be a really good coach. I mean, look, I'm probably wrong here, but I like Oklahoma State's chances to get to the Final Four. And, I mean, look, I, I, <laughs> I know I'm repeating myself by now, but, like, how good does it feel just to talk and think about an NCAA tournament again? The world is getting better, you guys. This really should be a great few weeks. Embrace the weird, right? 
Okay, um, before we move on to the rest of the show, this podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Uh, you can join dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online or reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and, and I'll send them along. Okay, uh, quick break, and then we will be back with some questions. If you want to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone. Call anytime, 816-234-4365. Or, as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE. Okay, uh, quick break, and then we're going to be back with some questions. Yeah, this is uh, Andy from Los Angeles, and uh, I got a question for Sam for his podcast. Just who do you think you are? I'll hang up and listen. You know what, Andy? Um, there is a better than 50-50 chance that I'm just missing the joke here, um, but I'm including this question anyway, and I'm going to let the legendary Pete Weber answer this one for me. Savannah, roll it. Strike to claim it, a strike to claim it, and he got it! That is why I said it! Another five! Are you kidding me? That's right! Who do you think you are? I am! Damn it, right! You got any more questions for me, Andy, and you can direct them to Pete, all right? Okay, here's Frank. Frank calling from 63rd and Troost in Kansas City. Um, the question is about gambling and sports. Is it good for for sports that uh, Bally's Sports Network is now uh, airing the baseball games? And as it becomes more involved with gambling, and then uh, so is, is gambling good or bad for sports and sports journalism? Question number two is, has uh, fantasy football and fantasy baseball been good for sports and sports journalism? Thanks. Have a good day. So, yeah, this is one of those things that we could probably do a whole show on, to be honest with you. And uh, look, I'm not trying to go all Bill Clinton here, right? But it depends on what you mean when you say, like, what's good for sports? Because good for revenue? Um, of course, right? Like gambling is great for revenue, which means it's great for, for leagues and teams. Um, but, you know, is it good or bad for the enjoyment of sports? You know, which to me is maybe the more interesting question, the more important thing, actually. Um, and I get that that's naive, but I think the answer is like, I think so. 
Um, you know, I, I'm not much of a gambler. Um, I never have been. I hate losing money way more than I enjoy winning it. So, but anyway, for me, like looking at the betting line can be interesting. Um, and I know a lot of people, and I've got friends like this, same as you probably do. Um, there's a lot of people who would consider gambling a central part of why they watch the game. So, you know, each their own, right? But you, you bring up the Bally Sports Network, and uh, I'm really curious to see what this ends up looking like because. It is inevitable that gambling will continue to become a bigger part of how sports are presented and that that presentation will continue to become like more and more mainstream. And I'm good with all that. You know, again, not my thing, but they're not taking anything away from me, you know, but I, I'll say this, like the, the line that I hope they don't cross, and maybe this is just for me, but the line I hope they don't cross is if the games start to be, if they're presented as like gambling opportunities and not sports events. You know what I mean? So like, I don't want the live odds flashed up all the time. I don't need like the broadcasters talking about any prop bets or whatever, you know, just give me the games. If you want to run some ads about your gambling app, cool, whatever. But if it starts to feel like a gambling infomercial, you know, more than just a a baseball game, then there's going to be a lot of people that are turned off. Um, Now, you also ask if this is good for sports journalism. Um, I appreciate the question. Always like to talk uh, sports journalism with anybody. Um, and, and I know I've been a little wishy-washy, you know, and saying that, well, what do you mean, like, good for sports or whatever? But here I'm going to say, like, yes, unequivocally, gambling and fantasy sports are good for sports journalism. Um, absolutely. Like, some of this is just it means more jobs, right? Like, there are people who feed their families and, you know, pay their mortgages and pay their taxes by analyzing and writing or talking about sports strictly through a fantasy perspective. Um, and that's great. Uh, good for them. More jobs. Uh, the other part of this is just it means more people are interested, right? Like, and I guess this is my side of the part earlier where I talked about like gambling being good for leagues because it means more money. And I don't necessarily care about that, but I do care deeply about maintaining and, you know, more importantly, growing the number of people who are interested in in the work that I do and and in the work of so many others. So, you know, I, I know there's some sports writers who like, they'll get annoyed at questions about, you know, who someone should start on their fantasy team or who you pick in your bracket or, you know, where someone should be drafted in a, in a uh, fantasy league or whatever. But to me, that's all part of the fun, right? Like, I don't feel like it's my place to give a lot of fantasy advice. Um, you know, though, uh, not humble brag here. Uh, your boy has won his league two out of the last three years. So, you know, got that going for me. But if, if that's what brings people in, then I like, again, I love all my children. You know, uh, if it brings more people into to our work, then then let's do it. But look, I know you didn't ask about this, but, um, you know, even aside from what I do for a living, I, I'm glad that gambling is becoming more legalized. Um, you know, some of the stuff that we as a society, I mean, again, this is probably a different thing that we could spend a whole show on, right? But it seems like some of the stuff that we just as a society long decided should be legal or illegal uh, just kind of makes no sense to me. Uh, change can be good. Okay, um, here's a bit of a more serious question. Hello, Sam. Question for the podcast. Um, I know COVID kind of uh, delayed things or put a hold on a lot of things regarding conference realignment. Just wondered if you'd heard anything on any future conference realignments in the NCAA, um, specifically regarding the Big 12. I think that uh, a few local schools are in a precarious position if it were to happen again. So just wonder if you heard anything or what your thoughts were on the future of any conference realignments. 
um, specifically in relation to various schools. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, doesn't it seem like as soon as you start to get settled in and used to where schools, used to the schools being where they are, like, doesn't it seem like that's when the system starts to change? Um, you know, look, the stuff, the conference realignment stuff that I hear right now, it's pretty vague. You know, it's sort of the stage of, you know, well, you know, the Big 12 TV contracts expire in four years. You know, uh, we're not yet to the point of like the where the talk is like, well, what is Oklahoma and Texas going to want? And, you know, can KU and K-State hook on with like the Big 10 or the Pac-12 or are they going to have to go to the Mountain West or whatever? Um, that talk is coming, by the way. Um, so is another round of whether it's time to do the, you know, the four 16 team super conferences. Um, although I've never been entirely sure why the SEC would want to change a single thing about how it operates right now. It seems like it's got all the power. It's the strongest league, the richest, the most powerful, all that. Like, but why would they want any change? Um, but anyway, I also think like whenever this happens, it highlights something to me that I think is so true about college sports that so much of what drives it is just insecurity. Right. Like the, the, the rush to build these huge weight rooms or to make sure, you know, the players lounge has a barber shop and a bowling alley and 25 PS5s and a hot tub and whatever else. Like that's all insecurity because it's like, well, if we don't do this, then, you know, the school down the street will and then we'll lose the recruits and then we'll eventually lose games. And then I have to hear from, you know, Bob from accounting, wear me out and screw that guy. So let's make it 30 PS5s. Right. Like that. That's how these decisions are made. And, you know, college sports message boards are full of this insecurity, too, like because like, you know, college sports is the only place in major American sports where you feel like you have to win on the field and you have to win with perception. You know, like that, that is a big difference because like in, in the NFL, if you win on the field, then that's all that matters because that is the perception. It's the wins. But. You know, in college sports, it's like you have to win both because, you know, perception can have as much to do with on the field as the other way around. And so we have this like weird creation where there are like billions of dollars at stake and it's all driven by ego and insecurity and this enormous fear of missing out. Like seriously, like so much of college sports, like how money is spent, decisions are made, all that stuff. It's just good old fashioned FOMO. Right. Uh, you know, you'll see it when this realignment stuff heats up again, too. Like you'll see it in places like KU and K-State that just want to make sure they're not dumped. You know, they want status quo. And you'll see it in places like Oklahoma and Texas that have, you know, more power and they want to make sure that they're maximizing it. So, um, look, I know my brain works in weird ways, but I, <laughs> when the aliens come of everything that we have in this world, when the aliens come, like college sports is going to be the hardest thing to explain. Uh, it just if you step back. It just makes no sense. Um, okay, we got time for one more question. Here's Paul. Hi, this is Paul from Leewood. First question is, um, which opening rock song do you like better? The opening in Reeling in the Years by Steely Dan or um, Back on the Chain Gang by The Pretenders? Which one is uh, is your favorite of those two? Second sporting question is, um, if you were in KU shoes right now, would you, um, would you have rather settled and negotiated with the NCAA and, uh, foregone all of the near misses in recruiting that you lost out on? Or are you still happy that you've been slugging it out and putting it off? 
even at the cost of several key recruits um, through the recent years. So um, give me your thoughts on that. Thanks, Sam. Bye. No idea about the songs. Honestly, no offense, but I might skip them both. Uh, but the KE question is really interesting. So let, let's do this one. So, um, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, reasonable minds can disagree on. Um, you know, well, they can disagree except for the fact that of the million reasons why Jeff Long screwed up the David Beatty firing, uh, you know, the part where he like essentially invited NCAA investigators on campus, that might be the worst. Um, just a staggering screw up on so many different levels. Uh, but moving on, like just looking at this thing broadly, like I can see the case for settling, right? Like that that's how it's traditionally been done. Um, you know, the thinking being that even if you don't think you did everything you're being accused of, if you just fess up to certain parts, you know, you can cut down the punishment a bit. You can get the whole thing over with sooner. Every That's good for everybody, you know, so I get that. Um, but with KU, with this one specifically, like, I'm not sure they had much of a choice, you know, like once it became clear that the NCAA was going level one in, and look, being charged with five level one infractions, that is really serious. Um, but look, once it started getting to that level, I'm just, I'm not sure that you can sort of like plea out of that and, you know, just take the reduced recruiting privileges or scholarships or whatever. When it gets to that point, you know, no matter how solid you think your case is and, and no matter how solid it actually is, you might not feel like you have any choice but to go like full, you know, Maximus Aurelius on the case, right? Like, you know, the, the one part of KU's defense that drives me crazy, and they should know better than this. Um, they should know it chips away at their credibility. You know, when they tried pushing this BS about how they were the victim, I mean, like, come the hell on. Like, no, nobody's buying that. And, you know, only an out-of-touch dolt would be trying to sell it. Um, so just put that part and just shoot it into the sun. Um, so, look, but again, other than that, I don't have a great feel, um, you know, for how this case will end. Um, you know, I, I know some people in and around the university are expecting or at least preparing for some really heavy penalties on the basketball program. And, you know, if I had to guess, that's how I'd expect it to go. But that's all it is. It's just a guess, um, you know. And as far as KU's defense, I mean, like, particularly when there's a lot of, like, public disdain for the NCAA and some of the rules, uh, I don't know that they've played this wrong, you know, again, except for this stupid victim thing. Um, so, okay. Thanks, as always, for the great questions. We're going to do one more break, and then we will be back with a really interesting talk with Sporting KC CEO Jake Reed. Okay, let's finish strong. As promised, you're going to hear from Sporting Kansas City CEO Jake Reed here. I had a lot of conversations this week for a column about uh, the Royals and Sporting Kansas City games being unavailable on TV to a sizable chunk of Kansas Cityans. The column was supposed to post this morning, uh, but it got pushed back by a few other things. I'm going to write it next week, or at least that's the plan. And the column will have a lot more information and perspectives that I can't fit in this segment. So I, I hope you read it. But this was a really good conversation with Jake, so I'm going to share parts of it here. As Fox Sports Kansas City, which the rebranding, I think, officially is going to be uh, March 31st. It'll be Bally Sports Kansas City. Um, but it is not available for subscribers of YouTube TV, Hulu, or some other streaming services as well. Those are the, you know, YouTube TV and Hulu are the two most popular streaming platforms, you know, by far. But 
you know, even if you're not a subscriber to those, uh, and, and heck, even if you don't care about the Royals or sporting, um, this is a story with enormous consequences. Uh, it's something I'm expecting to write a lot about over the coming, you know, like weeks, months, years. I mean, what, what we're seeing, this is the future of how sports are delivered to you, to fans, and it's changing. Uh, it's being rewritten. The decisions that, that teams and leagues and TV folks make right now will have effects on how we watch games for years. Um, and we're seeing that right up close here in Kansas City. You know, two of our three major professional sports teams are unavailable on TV to a big chunk of Kansas City. And so, look, I, I reached out to the Royals. They did not have much to say. Uh, but Jake Reed, though, uh, Jake was pretty direct. Uh, so it's it's hugely frustrating. I, mean, I think the reason we did the deal with, with Fox at the time was was because of the the wide distribution and um, certainly the Royals have had a, a ton of success. And I think there's, there's strength in numbers with, you know, putting yourself aligned with, with great sports properties and, and building on what the Royals had, had done. And the goalposts have changed on that. So we're, we're trying to figure out what that looks like for us long-term, but this is not a, it's not an acceptable solution for, for us to, to get games to fans as it stands right now. That's pretty strong, right? Um, you know, this is sporting CEO saying that he is hugely frustrated um, and that their current reality is not acceptable. Again, the, the Royals aren't saying much about this, at least not to me, but I cannot imagine that they don't feel the exact same emotions that Jake is talking about here. The exact same. And, you know, for that matter, the Cardinals, too, and, and the Red Sox and every other team with a local TV contract that's leaving out a big chunk of the fan base. Again, uh, the column will hopefully be ready by next week, and it'll have a lot more information than I'm going to be able to put in here. So um, I hope you read it. Um, there's a lot in there about, you know, the whole business model, how it's changing, what teams can do about it. But the short version is that the whole thing is shifting and the relationship between teams and networks is shifting. There, there are a million ways this can go. And teams and leagues are in this weird situation of trying to like sort of read the wins and pick a winner because the traditional model is that, you know, consumers play paid distributors uh, who pay teams and leagues. But what if leagues feel like they can cut out that middleman and go straight to consumers? Right. Like it wouldn't be the same distribution as traditional cable, but then at least you're not asking people to sort of change their lives and switch to a more extensive or expensive provider. Um, OK, here, here's another clip from uh, from Jake about that. And listen, I'm not throwing those guys under the bus, but I think it's important for people to understand like this, this is what we signed up for. So for us, I mean, this is not an acceptable solution for the long term. So we're. I don't have a good solution for you right now, but we're actively trying to figure that out as we kind of go forward here. So this is where we get into the model changing. And that sounds like corporate jargon. But what we're really saying here is the act of you sitting at home and trying to watch your favorite team play is in the midst of this fundamental shift. Because Sinclair, and we should probably pause here a bit to talk talk about Sinclair, actually, because Sinclair bought a lot of these RSNs, including those under the Fox Sports banner. And, you know, Jake wouldn't talk much about them directly. uh, But I'm telling you, I know enough people and have talked to enough people about this, that this is where the change is. The change is coming from Sinclair. This is not a new decision that YouTube uh, or, or Hulu have made. This is this is Sinclair, because last March, we were in a similar position. YouTube and Hulu had no deals with Fox Sports Kansas City, and, and publicly there was some worrying. But if you talk to enough people, you understood that a deal was going to get done. And, and that's what happened. And I'm telling you right now that it is vastly different now. Um, Sinclair has a, a corporate statement that they put out that essentially blames YouTube and Hulu for not negotiating in good faith. But people who know what's happening here and, and don't have necessarily a dog on you know, either side of the fight, they know the change is not on the streamer side. It, it's on Sinclair. You know, 
particularly hard negotiations, which is obviously their right. And, you know, they've set a very different tone than what existed a year ago. So anyway, like the only thing that Jake would speak on with Sinclair came after I mentioned that uh, someone else I talked to it tipped me off to an investor's call. Uh, and this is public, but I'm just telling you, I would not have, I would not have checked out the Sinclair CEO investors call. Uh, but somebody tipped me off on it, uh, you know, recently. Where he, he mentioned the idea of going direct to consumer, you know, essentially like bypassing distributors, not not only like YouTube and Hulu, but also cable and AT and T and and everybody else. Um, okay, here here's Jake on that. Listen, the other part of this model is they're the, the rights fees they're they're paying to 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 the teams at some point. I don't know that that, I don't know if it's the same because if, you, if your viewer numbers, and then they, they must feel super confident in their direct to consumer volume they're going to have because that's what the, you know, listen, the way the machine works is the ad buyers and all the, the sponsors who are buying TV spots to fund their rights to, to the teams, like that, that cycle needs to still work. If the, the media right. buys, you're getting less eyeballs, then the media, you know, buys are going to go down in terms of what people are willing to pay, which means your rights. These will change. I mean, it's, it's kind of a domino effect. So that, listen, somebody smarter than me has probably clearly got this figured out in terms of what they think they're going to do. But I don't know that I see the the long-term end game on all this yet. So maybe there's another yeah. you know, surprise down the road still. So that's what I mean when I say like the way that you get your sports is about to change drastically. And maybe that's just natural. You know, the world is, is more niche than, than ever. So maybe it makes sense that sports is going to follow. But, you know, something real is going to be lost here. And, you know, part of why there are so many sports fans in America is because so many of us were exposed to it as kids. Um, and a lot of that, probably the most important part is, you know, playing Little League or Pop Warner or Bitty Basketball or whatever. But, you know, also a lot of it is in being able to see our favorite teams on TV. And, you know, and, and this is more the point, the local teams on TV, because our then that's what the, the local teams become our favorite that way, because they're so easy to see on TV all the time. And that draws us to the ballpark, to the stadium, whatever. I mean, and, and that part is changing. And Sinclair must have some data that says that they can get more revenue by doing it this way. But Jake is right. Like at some point, the teams and leagues have a voice in this too. And the Royals TV deal that they just signed has nine more years in it, which is an incredibly long period of time. Uh, but Sporting Sport is up after next season. And if they're not getting the distribution that they want, and, and I'm telling you, having a third or more of their fans shut out is absolutely not the distribution they want, then, you know, something has to break. So, you know, instead of switching to AT&T or cable or whatever, which is, you know, significantly more expensive, w- would you pay like $10 a month for a package that includes the Royals and sporting games? You know, some of you would, some of you wouldn't. But, you know, either way, like the rub of it is that this would not solve the distribution problem. Um, you know, because those games and that's the best marketing that teams have. It's it's their best chance to create new fans and young fans who will become older fans who spend money. Right. Uh, but their best chance is, is those games on TV. And, you know, the way it is right now, those games would still not be available unless you make a real and concerted effort to go get them, which, you know, means that sort of the organic way that a lot of us fell in love with major sports of, you know, just being able to discover them on our own or grow comfortable with them at home, you know, even in the background, like that, that stuff is gone. And again, there's a lot more that, that are going to be in the column and I really hope you check it out. Um, but I keep coming back to this. Um, and here we're going to, the, the big finish here, right? Uh, this is what I keep coming back to. I, me, Sam, I would climb on my roof and put bunny ears on the chimney if that's what it took to get the Royals and Sporting Kansas City on TV in my house. 
you know, so I, I can sit here and whine about having to pay, you know, extra every month, um, you know, for AT&T or whatever. But the bottom line, and this isn't just about my job, but, you know, it's about what I'm interested in and what my wife wants and, and what we want in our house and for our kids to be exposed to. Like, we'll pay it. <laughs> we'll do it. Like, absolutely. They've got me. Um, but like, how many freak shows like me are out there? And, and whatever that number is, how many of them are going to raise kids who will have that same connection? And this is how business erodes long term, right? Like sports teams and leagues are really good at making you forget that they are businesses. But this is a spot that really sticks out because those teams and leagues have essentially they have outsourced their most important and valuable property, which is distribution of games on TV. And part of that price is with control. And what we're seeing here is that unless something changes, that fewer and fewer potential people are going to have the opportunity to become fans if they can't easily get the games on TV, right? Like (laughs) your customer base is shrinking over time. So look, I I really hope something changes with this. Um, You know, I think sporting is going to do everything it can and they might have extra motivation because their fans skew younger and, you know, cord cutters skew younger. And, you know, sporting simply cannot have the future at once without more people watching on TV. You know, like Jake said, it's a third or more of, of his fan base, uh, the, of sporting's fan base that, that is a cord cutter that has you, YouTube or Hulu. Um, I don't know. I would assume that the Royals chunk is a little bit less than that, but we're still talking a sizable percentage. Right. And so I, I hope that there's a solution coming. But, you know, I worry about the Royals. You know, I, I worry about a team that plays a sport that is already having problems attracting younger fans. And now they're locked into a deal long term that shuts out a lot of younger fans. So I hope there's a solution coming, um, you know, but at the moment I don't see it. So, look, <laughs> I'm sorry to end the show on that. Right. Like a bit of a downer. Um, but I got to be real with you guys. So. Anyway, the NCAA tournament starts today, so let's have some fun the rest of the weekend. Uh, Okay, I appreciate you listening, and as always, I hope we're worth your time. Uh, Thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to. Big thanks to Savannah Smith for putting this together, and as always, the biggest thanks to you for giving us your time and letting us be a small part of your life. Uh, Let's do it again next week when you can either yell at me for being wrong about KU and Missouri this weekend, or we can talk about what happened in the 73 home runs that Bobby Witt Jr. will hit by then, um, and the half billion dollars in free agent money that Brett Veach and Brent Tillis will have found by then. So anyway, uh, have a great weekend, guys. Be kind.